Island Minds, a mental health podcast. Please note, these episodes deal with topics that some listeners may find distressing. For suggested contacts, please see the show notes on our Facebook page after this episode. Do people realise how hard it is to decide how to start a podcast when we're really anxious? That can be the start right there. Exactly, yeah. Does that mean we've started it? I don't know. <laughs> okay, yes, we're rolling with it. We've started. We've yeah. started. We've started. It is incredibly difficult to think of a good opener, especially when you're very anxious and especially when you struggle with this sort of communication. Like, it's you know, it's very similar to being on the phone and that's awful. Wording is hard. <laughs> It is hard. Um, What an incredible few weeks we've had. Just this week, we found out that our podcast has gone international. We do have listeners in Europe, in America. We have some listeners in New Zealand. It's just been fantastic. It's pretty great. We're now like international women of mystery. I mean, I don't think there's any mystery here, Tia. (laughs) Yes. The whole point is being open and honest. (laughs) (laughs) We're so anxious, or are we? Yes, definitely. It's like, in fact, the last few weeks we've been on such a high and things have been going really well. We've been having some meetings, which we can't talk about yet. And everything seems to be falling into place, as it were. And that has made me incredibly anxious. Like, what's going to go wrong? What? Why is this going so well? Well, exactly. Can't have things going right all the time. I mean, it's no oh, good for our stress levels. <laughs> but seriously, like that, that is what is ridiculous. My new anxiety is why is something going well? I was like, I can't even enjoy the fact it's going well. <laughs> Oh, our listeners are going to be hearing this and thinking, oh, my God, they're both in such a great mood. They're giggly and having fun, not realising that we've pretty much just had an awful week. (laughs) Like, we're both just not okay. (laughs) It's really hard not to swear, but we agreed we wouldn't. But I would say it has been not my favourite week. Mm, yeah i think that's a fairly good summary without swearing but here we are and it's mental health awareness week so that's amazing um that's and, true you know, what a time to have a mental health crisis right <laughs> when everyone's aware of it it's wonderful to see so much sort of on social media and you know instagram's been absolutely alive with uh the mental health hashtags that were coming out from the Mental Health Foundation and Mind. It, it you know, it's fantastic to see those. It'd be lovely if, you know, you saw it all year round. And I think with all the movements currently going on, we are gonna start to see a lot more of this all the time, rather than just at certain points of the year. So that in itself is progress. Yeah, definitely. It's this is what we want. We want people to be talking about it. We just hope that people talk about it more regularly and Mm. that they feel comfortable talking about it because I do still think there's there's some awkwardness there um one thing I've noticed because of all these posts in the last week where they've there's been quite a lot of them to go through I noticed that a lot of people use 
the term mental health ever so slightly wrong. For example, sort of talking about, oh, this person um, suffers with mental health. It's like, no, 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 no. I, I understand what you're saying. But we all have mental health and it goes side by side with our physical health. And there is no overall health without both of those parts working together. It's mental ill health if there is an illness or a condition. But yeah, it's really interesting. We still, I think even I do it on occasion. I just say, oh yeah, I've got mental health. Well, yeah, of course I have mental health. Everyone does. But it's, it's mental ill health. And I've just noticed it. I don't know if you've noticed it. I know that you're not on Facebook, but on on sort of the channels you are. Yeah, yeah, no, it is something I've noticed and something I wasn't aware of until I did the mental health first aid course that you put me on to. But yeah, it's it's like this uh, stigma as soon as you even hear mental health, not just mental illness. And like, why why wouldn't you talk about your health? That's it's just bizarre <laughs> I had someone say to me that they thought it was really brave for doing this and sort of talking so openly about it and I don't know I don't really like I don't like the idea of thinking of it as bravery I think people speaking up like I guess when it's other people I think they were brave and I know it's a hard thing to do but I don't want it to be like that I want it to be normal <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I totally agree. And also it's this, whenever we talk about, you know, say if you're suffering with depression or anxiety, anything, a lot of the time, and I don't know if this is a general thing or just maybe something I'm used to, I'll, I'll say, oh, it's, you know, I'm struggling with my mental health. But if I had a broken leg or something, I wouldn't say I'm struggling with my physical health. I'd say, oh yeah, I've got a broken leg or I've got a cold. So why why when someone says to me oh you know you know what's wrong and I rather than say oh I've got depression or I'm anxious or this I it's like oh it's mental health like actually it's a it's an actual thing that I should we should all feel like we can pinpoint it and and say exactly what it is we're trying to help in the fight to end stigma but we do tend to stigmatize ourselves at times and I don't know if that, I don't know if that comes from still this inherent worry of shame, um, because of of how extensive it's been. I, I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's it's been drummed into us through society through the years. But I mean, you've called me out on it several times. You know, you've told me I've Hannah. Wait a minute. You've just you've just stigmatized yourself, or you've just shamed yourself, and it's really easy to talk to other people about it and say no that you know that's not okay do not accept that stigma but then you just do it to yourself it's it's like being able to give really good advice but you never take it I had it didn't I when um when our last episode went out I said I kept asking you what the feedback was I said I'm just sort of waiting for someone to say something um judgmental or feel sorry for me about the self-harm section and no one did. That that was all just me, <laughs> just expecting that and like shaming myself for it. So, but actually, you know, the feedback I, I had about that section was that it was great and it was really it really got people thinking about the types of self harm there could be. So, mm. yeah. 
So we've discussed the fact that at the point of recording, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. But what a lot of people might not have known is the week before was actually um, Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week. That is all very specific to perinatal mental health. Now, I'll put my hands up. I know very little about perinatal mental health. Tia, do you have any... Do you know anything about it? So, listeners, I am sat very still. (laughs) Apparently, when I move the slightest muscle, there is rustling. Suspect it may be my duvet. I am lying in bed. Me too. Um, (laughs) uh, I've heard of things like postnatal depression, postpartum depression, but um, perinatal mental health in particular, not really something I've heard of and definitely not something I know anything about so I know you've done a lot of research for it. Hannah and I wanted to make really clear that with this episode that um, because we haven't had much experience of this topic um, even with research we don't want to spend a lot of time talking about something that we're by no means experts on or even really as I said have experience on so we want a lot of the focus of this episode to be on our wonderful guest speaker so it's just going to be a brief conversation here about the research we found yeah I'm in a similar boat to you I've heard of postpartum depression that tends to get covered ever so slightly more than say other illnesses that fit into this bracket but generally I think this is something that isn't really talked about at all unless you are going through it and from what I've discovered and what I think our listeners will discover when um, we talk to our guests is that it's quite lonely because of the lack of knowledge on it. So just to give our listeners some context, perinatal is anything from the time of becoming pregnant and up to one year after giving birth. And perinatal mental health actually includes depression, anxiety, OCD, psychosis, PTSD and can contribute to eating disorders and body image issues. So it actually encompasses nearly all forms of mental health, but with the added sort of level of you're going through, you know, a huge hormonal change. And, you know, me and you both know a a good deal about mental health, but this was something I knew absolutely nothing about. I can't believe the length of time that that covers um, because uh, from my point of view, pregnancy is seen as a very happy occasion. And even though I know a lot of people who have, who who have had children and I think the pregnancy looks exhausting um, and that there's, you know, the hormones must be just awful to deal with. I think a lot of the time that's, made light of particularly in tv and films it's very sort of it's kind of like comical um in my experience that someone's you know like oh hormonal pregnant woman you know don't wind her up that kind of thing um and yeah it's just I guess you don't we, we don't hear much about that period affecting people um and and on the other side of that, you, like we said, you hear a lot about when the baby's first born. But did you say that was up to a year after they're born that this 
can affect yeah, up, people up to a year see that you know that's um phenomenal and it's just not something that um we really discuss um and definitely needs to be talked about more oh when i was researching this i saw that it's actually up to 20 percent of new and expectant mothers experience uh perinatal mental health issues that's huge that's that's mind-blowing you know that's such a a vulnerable time for someone and you know perinatal uh mental health can affect uh you know the wider family relationships relationships with any children you already have and they do think that it can have an effect on your unborn child as well so it is if it's not looked after properly it can be very damaging so we do we do need to understand this more and I'll be honest when I was reading through all of this I thought oh my gosh like we women should be more prepared for this you know I've talked to a few of my friends uh, who have had children and obviously they're all wonderful and beautiful and everything but no one seems to have gone into it prepared for that side of it you know all the physical stuff yes but there's I mean if I got pregnant tomorrow I wouldn't I wouldn't have known half of this could happen I know I think it's important to say that this is it's not not just going to affect people who have pre-existing mental health conditions so it might be something completely new so imagine coming to terms of having mental health issues for the first time while you're pregnant it can be a really wonderful thing but it's terrifying we're not trying to scare people or trigger anyone obviously what we want to help do is make sure that these conversations are happening and that people are more aware of this there is great care out there and we know that it it is a wonderful thing but you know there are conversations that need to be had to make this an easier process for women and their families there are people that are challenging you know the lack of conversation the lack of resource 2021 is actually the fifth year of the maternal mental health week it was actually set up by a group of individuals i think there are 11 of them and they all have lived experience with perinatal mental health interestingly last year the duchess of cambridge actually openly supported it as well so it is gaining momentum and I think a couple of years ago they went on to set up the perinatal partnership as well so if anyone's interested in hearing more about that we will put up the links to it all in our show notes as well and what a fantastic organization and I was um, researching them as well and they have a letters of light project which is basically um, mothers with lived experience who maybe are in in a stage of recovery send letters all across the world uh, to mothers who are experiencing these issues for the first time just to sort of offer them a source of of hope and and to say that you're not alone and and you can get through this, Um, which is obviously what we're trying to do with mental health in the wider sense here. Yeah, and I I don't think this is going to be our only episode on perinatal mental health we've had quite a lot of people reach out to us on this particular subject so I think it's going to come up a few times again we'll put all the information for the letters of light 
scheme and all of that on our show notes which uh, appear on our website on the ACAST app and on our social media pages as well so you can find all that information uh, directly from those pages. The only other thing I wanted to just talk about was uh, sort of in relation to this topic um, I had a wonderful newsletter from probably my favourite podcaster no offence to us um, a wonderful offended. <laughs> A wonderful lady called Claire Tonti who does or did a podcast called Just Make the Thing and now does a podcast called Suggestible with her husband. An excellent podcaster too, by the way. Um, so, yeah, her newsletter was celebrating Mother's Day because uh, it was in, it was Mother's Day internationally. And she was talking all about matrescence, which... Um, I hadn't heard of as a word. Not sure if you had. No. Um, but it's it's basically um, the change a woman's body goes through um, when they become pregnant and have children, and it's like adolescence. You know, similar sort of word, and it's basically just about the the physical changes your body goes through and the, those hormonal changes and how um, your hair and skin change and how it's basically like like adolescence a whole stage of development in your life um, and how people just don't talk about it like that and really allow for that massive change in your body um how awkward it can be um how you know you almost come out of it as a different person much like I guess you do from adolescence to adulthood she was just talking about how great it would be if we could make more allowances for that and as we were saying earlier not just expecting women who are pregnant to be overjoyed that they are and and, you know allowing for for the changes that they're going through yeah and allowing them to be uncomfortable allowing them to not enjoy every single moment of it like letting women go through it in their own way and not having pressure on them Claire said in a newsletter the pressure women put on themselves to regain or to get back to the body they had pre-pregnancy when they've literally grown a human being inside of them (laughs) how ridiculous like of course it's not going to be the same and that's okay if you want to eat a four pack of scones from Sainsbury's eat the four pack of scones from Sainsbury's you have just given birth to a baby to life I have not given birth to life but may I also eat the scones <laughs> so I'll also accept Tesco Asda Morrison's not just, fussy just, about where the scones come from <laughs> I just particularly like Sainsbury's cherry scones they use like glacé cherries and they're really nice Island Mind sponsored by <laughs> yeah. Sainsbury scones um <laughs> Just to be clear, we are not sponsored by all their scones. We are sponsored by nobody and that's why we're doing this in our bedroom. We are going to welcome this month's guest next. Now, this episode deals with a particularly difficult experience with the healthcare services. We would like to stress that this is not reflective of all our healthcare services. Hello, Alana. Thank you so much for joining us Perinatal mental health is something that both Tia and I have 
no experience with at all. So I'm going to give you the microphone, as it were, and just be guided by you. So whenever you're ready, if you would like to start sharing your experience, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to get a lot from this. Okay, yeah, that's great. Um, It's something that's really important to me that it gets spoken about because my main experience has been that whenever I've had a problem or I've been worried, um, I have found a lot of the I've found support in the wrong places and a lot of the support uh, quote unquote that I have found has been um, not necessarily very positive so I think that's fed a lot into the issues that I've been having and so I I think it's really important to be honest I don't think enough mothers are whether that be because they feel shame or stigma or whether they just don't want to acknowledge the way they've been feeling that I found very unhelpful because I didn't find anyone I could relate to so yeah it's I I really hope that someone listens to this and and it helps them. I hope there will be a lot of listeners that can either relate or they've had a similar experience or it might be that some people find some reassurance or they they actually learn you know what to do and I think it's great that you're you're talking about it we say this every week but it 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 takes a lot of courage to talk about these things and probably more so in when it comes to children as well I think it's really important to say my experience is coming from a place of I I wanted the baby and it may be different for someone who perhaps had an unplanned pregnancy and coming from a different situation so everyone's experience is individual ours was very much a we want to have a baby at some point the timing was not ideal but it wasn't the end of the world when I found out I was pregnant I was like well we're doing it we're having the baby both me and my husband want this baby very much the only reason the timing wasn't ideal was because obviously pandemic and um, we both worked for the NHS so it was uh, not really it wasn't ideal to be pregnant because I was well and I was and I did all the way up through my pregnancy work a lot of overtime and I, I am a frontline worker I work in radiology so I was very much hands-on dealing with with the virus and we didn't know how the antenatal care was going to be but we thought well we want the baby so we're going to go ahead with it and I was really happy but I also I didn't have the feelings I expected to have initially I didn't have I, I had a bit of excitement I was like oh I'm pregnant and all of that and I'm And I told very few people at first, because obviously a lot of people wait till the 12 week scan for for own personal reasons. I didn't want too much fuss while we worked out how things were going to be. And I was and I had a lot of anxiety around if the baby was going to be healthy. And so I think and I don't know how how many mums will relate, but I definitely had the feeling of not feeling connected to the pregnancy, almost separate from it until I had my 12 week scan. And I don't know how much of that was self-preservation, if I'm honest, because I didn't know how I would handle the news if it if I if I couldn't keep the baby. So there was a lot of anxiety in the beginning. And I think looking back, the point that I'm at now has been slowly building, but I didn't I didn't recognize it in myself. Uh, it's important to say I do have some mental health problems. Um, I've never had a full diagnosis or assessment from anybody. I live in West Sussex in the Chichester area and the clinic that I get referred to I don't have great feelings about, but it's the only one available. Uh, And I've been in and out of that service more times than I can count, but no one has ever followed through and given me a proper diagnosis or even had any therapy. Most of the time I'm given medication and told to go away, basically. So I have no idea what box I tick, but I I have very generalized anxiety and depression. I've had a lot of friends who have had babies and a couple of them have had quite severe postnatal depression. So I've always known 
and been very hyper aware of what to look for in, in depression. So much so that I didn't expect to get anxiety. That one hit me. Um, I didn't even realise that perinatal anxiety was a thing until it happened because I, I was so focused on, on depression. Yeah, initially... I didn't feel connected to the pregnancy and the seeds of the anxiety started then because I started feeling bad about the fact that I didn't feel happy. I felt happy, but I didn't feel the way I thought other mums would feel about being pregnant. And that carried on. I also didn't have a very easy pregnancy. I didn't have any major issues, but I was very sick and I was in a lot of pain and I did not enjoy being pregnant. And there was a lot of anxiety and guilt around that as well. So quite often... I think the main question I would get asked was, oh, how are you feeling? How are you doing today? And I would be honest and I would say, actually, I don't like being pregnant. And as soon as I was honest, people didn't want to know anymore. They kind of did. They wanted either the niceness. They wanted me to go, oh, yeah, I love it. Like, I'm so I feel my tummy and, and all of that. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to be touched. I genuinely didn't like being pregnant and I wanted to say someone's go oh um it's okay you know we can talk about it and no one wanted to know they would go oh it will pass or it gets better those were the nice ones but we had just just enjoy every moment was one I, I kept getting which I'm I'm sure came from a place of, of wanting to relate and be kind but I couldn't enjoy every moment and I didn't so that sowed the seeds of feeling guilty that I wasn't grateful for being sick really <laughs> and it was bad my my shifts are pretty long I work 7 30 till 6 or if I'm doing an x-ray shift I work one in the afternoon till nine at night these hours were extended during the pandemic so at one point I was doing 7 30 in the morning till nine at night uh, and I cannulate I work in CT so I've got constant patience uh, up and down up and down walking on my feet so I was just I was throwing up quite a bit and I felt nauseous a lot and very faint and that didn't really go away first trimester sucked completely and I didn't feel um, very much into my pregnancy I didn't have a good experience with my midwives both of them I, I changed and because I don't know how much the pandemic has affected services or if how many women listening to this are gonna have experienced the same thing I do want to just take time that it whatever I say in this uh, interview I don't want it to color someone's experience and, and make people worried that they're going to have the same experience you, you might not this has just been my experience of the antenatal care in this area it's not been great the pandemic probably has a lot to do with it but I do really feel like I've missed out on a, a, a standard of care that I would expect as a healthcare worker everything mostly was done over the phone there were very few face-to-face -face appointments and that was a big problem for me when I first spoke to my midwife on the phone we had a chat for about an hour which is called like the booking appointment um, and they run through a lot of questions about your health and mental health does come up but I don't think it was a very in-depth question but I would also like to say that I think I influenced the care that I got because I felt like I had to downplay my mental health history because I was very scared that social services might get involved and think that I wasn't able to look after my child or suitable if they deemed me to be too mentally unwell so I did tell them about my history of depression they ask you if you've ever been on any medication or had any history of depression because it makes you in their eyes more at risk of um, postnatal depression and I noticed that they never talk about anxiety actually in the booking appointment in hindsight I remember all the questions were all about depression um, which is probably why my anxiety came as such a shock when it happened they ask you all about that 
so that they can sort of grade you much like if you've ever had a mental health assessment and you get the one to 10 scale they do a similar thing and I told them that I'd had history and I used to be on medication but I've not been on it for five years and at that point she just kind of moved on really quickly and she said well I don't think you're at high risk then which was good to me I also didn't think I was high risk to be fair and I didn't want to be seen as high risk so I wonder if I could have been more open and whether that would have affected the care that I got who knows but what is wonderful is obviously now you are talking about it and it will make a difference to other people not saying that you know I I want you to have gone through this of course not I wish you didn't have to but I think it's really good that you're using your experience and your voice to help other people yeah I I just I hope that it does help picking it apart in my head is helping me as well because I there's a lot I haven't told many people I don't think many people I know actually think that I was going through this because I was very good at hiding it it was difficult I I feel like I still I missed out on a lot and I remember telling my midwife on my very first appointment where it was face to face and she would do my first measurements it was just before my 12 week scan I felt very rushed when I got there and I think maybe that's her caseload as well because obviously social distancing and I'd just like to point out as well it's obviously really difficult for healthcare workers as well and and I don't think a lot of them want to be in the position that they're in so when I what I'm talking about is no way really a criticism it's just the experiences I felt and how I felt about it I do feel like the two healthcare workers I had could have been better that might just be because they weren't suited to me Hmm. and they probably are fine to you know to work with other people so I will say if you ever feel like you don't quite gel with your midwife definitely definitely change I should have done it a lot sooner with mine and I, I left it and that was a mistake on my part because I could have had a lot better care and I would have felt a lot more able to talk about the way I was feeling with somebody else but I, I left it because I thought, oh, well, pandemic, it's not easy to get someone. I'm just going to roll with it. I don't want I didn't want to make it fast. I didn't want to make it harder for anybody. So I kind of <laughs> kind of put myself at, um, at a disadvantage there, I think. But the booking appointment was really bad. I remember going there and I didn't know why I felt the way I did. I felt really down and tearful and I couldn't quite really I didn't understand why it was probably hormones a lot of it I started to tell my midwife how I was feeling and she sort of just looked at me deadpan I think is the best way I can describe it she sort of she was like oh okay and I said I just feel really low I'm, I'm really worried that I'm not having the experience other women are having I feel like I'm not getting to meet other mums and I would ask her lots of questions I, I one of the things I remember asking was like I was getting really excited was like oh me and my husband we've been looking at breast pumps because I wanted at the time to breastfeed and um, we were wondering if you had any recommendations about the best kind because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling overwhelmed by the information on the internet and she said oh we don't need to think about that till 36 weeks and I was like okay but I wanted to discuss it and I thought the idea of having a midwife was that you could talk about all these things with them and get their advice yeah I I really felt like she didn't want to give me the time and it might have been that she didn't have the time but it wasn't what I was expecting so I felt less able to open up and then I explained that oh because of pandemic there's no antenatal classes um there's no meetings that I could go to to learn how to be a mum I am a first time mum and she said oh we don't really run those till 36 weeks anyway it is a rubbish time but I wouldn't worry too much about it there's the internet go on family assist have you been on family assist which is the local government's website for these sorts of things and I felt like that was the go-to thing I was always told whenever I needed help and I've got to be honest it's not the best I've compared the NHS website to Family Assist and they have literally copy and pasted 
the bare minimum of the NHS website. So it's not like this fountain of knowledge mm. that can replace a midwife's knowledge. So I felt a bit brushed off. And as I was telling her this, I was starting to cry, but like involuntarily, I didn't realise I was crying. And I said, oh, I don't know why I'm crying. This is um, this is very embarrassing. She's like, well, is this normal for you? And I was like, in the last week or so, yeah, I've been crying quite a bit, but sure, you know, mums do, don't they? I said, it's probably normal. She's like, not normal if you're doing it every day. So she kind of sowed those seeds in my head yeah. that there was something really wrong. Then she said, and how have we discussed your mental health? And is it your first baby? She said quite a lot. And I said, yeah, it is my first. And in my mind, I was thinking, but also we've discussed this in my booking appointment. Do you remember anything about me? It felt very impersonal, which made it make my anxiety work. And that sort of, that sort of language carried on in our appointments. And sadly after that discussion after that oh is this your first you know it's not normal for you to be crying like this we then she then moved on really quickly to oh well let's look at your baby's heartbeat and because I was so upset I didn't take in that moment I didn't record it for my husband I didn't enjoy hearing my daughter's heartbeat for the first time and that was awful oh and the other thing she said that that um I hope I don't upset any women listening I had a real fixation and a um of thoughts in the first couple of weeks of my pregnancy that upset me actually that I felt I wouldn't bond with my baby if I found out it was a boy and I taught I literally tortured myself with those thoughts over and over again oh I'm really worried I won't bond with it if it's a boy I've always seen my in my head when I've imagined having a baby, my first child being a girl, and I didn't know how I'd feel about having a boy. And I felt awful about that because it doesn't matter. I All I really want is a healthy baby. But I was like, oh, I don't know if I'll love it if it's a boy. And I asked my midwife, I was like, I'm having these feelings and they're really upsetting. But is this normal? Like, will I? And she's like, it won't matter what you have. You'll grow to love it. And I was like, yeah, I, I know that. But the way that she said it, and I don't know if maybe I pinched a raw nerve for her when I said it, but it made those thoughts worse and I felt ashamed for them and I and it and it went away pretty quickly but it was those these cycling of thoughts you often get and I had a few like that um I had I don't know if I'm gonna bond with the baby if it's a boy I had what am I gonna do if there's a severe illness with the baby um I don't know that I can cope with that as a mother like how will people think about me if I decide to terminate what will my husband think is my relationship gonna end if there's a problem like these thoughts went round and round and round and round and I drove myself nuts but I managed in my work to bury them away and then they got better so pregnancy after a while that all of the anxiety did sort of go I could have done better I could have told the midwife but at that point I hadn't built that rapport with her so I didn't want to tell her and whenever I did open up to her um, I found her emotionally cold I thought that might be something that I was told is that if you have a problem with your midwife and you want to change this is the process I wasn't given that process I was there are a lot of things I wasn't I wasn't given I, I have to say so yeah that, that that experience was bad and that carried on up till week 25 mm. so I got to change midwives but then I only saw my commun- new community midwife once before I gave birth I had one appointment with her and that was it I had next to no antenatal care apart from the I, I would I saw the first midwife about three times I saw I, I got to go to my scans um, I, I am lucky I am one of the women who did get to take a husband to the two important scans so the 12 week and 20 week but he didn't get he wasn't allowed to come to any of the midwife appointments where I could have really done with him so that that was quite horrible that always that that thought in my mind that something could be wrong and he wouldn't be there and it affected him as well it was it was not great so that was the that was the antenatal experience so a lot of what you've said is there are feelings of guilt and shame because you felt like you weren't feeling how a mother should feel that's okay 
Like your feelings are completely valid. And I know you're not the only person out there that has probably gone through that. I know my mum, she was worried about not having a bond with me throughout the pregnancy. She wasn't a maternal person. I, I have friends with children who, who weren't maternal and were worried about things like that. But obviously it was okay. But that that doesn't mean the feelings weren't valid at the time. And I I really wanted someone to sit with me and talk through that or, or refer me to someone that I could talk to with that. And I didn't get that at all. I, I just I kind of just got told to enjoy my pregnancy. God, it's exactly the same though as all the other silly comments you get when it comes to mental health. Like, oh, you know, be grateful for what you've got. No, like, stop it. Like that, you're not being ungrateful for what you've got, but mental health is an illness. And on top of already being ill, you've got hormones doing all sorts. Your body is going through changes. Your first time, it's all a brand new experience. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I also found that a lot of people would say to me, why don't you reach out on Facebook and discuss your pregnancy? Why don't you just talk to other people? And I I think I kind of felt I didn't want to because I had watched the way other people interact with other mums for a while, especially my friends. I didn't like the way people would just go offer advice unsolicited. Um, I tended to find that unhelpful as well. I remember once I had posted a picture about with my bump and it was the first time I'd shared a picture of my bump. I had never really shown a picture of it. It was my my week, around week 20. And I thought, oh, I've got a slight bump now. And someone said to me, oh, uh, make sure you use olive oil on your stretch marks. And at one point I was like, I don't even have stretch marks yet, but I didn't invite a comment on my body. It was just sharing. I was sharing my bump picture, but I wasn't really inviting for a, any comments on my actual body. Mm. nor was I talking about stretch marks and it didn't feel relevant and it made me really angry and at that point I just thought you know what I don't actually want to share anymore and that made me sad because at the time of the pandemic my family couldn't see me so they missed out on that because I didn't want to post because I didn't want any opinions or advice on feeding I didn't want to get into an argument I didn't want to tell people what my plans were and I think a lot of women might feel the same way and then you kind of isolate yourself because you don't seek the uh, support that way and you go down the dark hole of the internet and if I if I can give some unsolicited advice having just mentioned that I hate unsolicited advice (laughs) stay away from the internet stay away from mum's net definitely stay away from mum's net Good to know. (laughs) Looking for help, reading through cot threads, what I found, uh, especially when I was in the depths of my breastfeeding crisis that I had, was people telling other women that they hadn't tried hard enough, that breast was best, and that the fact their latch mustn't be right, had they got checked, did they they do enough, have they done X, Y, Z, when the mother literally in her poster set listed everything that she's done, oftentimes what has been suggested. And is at wit's end because their baby just won't feed. And it isn't, as I've discovered, for everybody at all. It doesn't matter how much support you had. Because I did get a lot of support with breastfeeding, I will say, when I was on the labour ward by some very, very, very well-trained women, very good. And they told me that the problem I was having with Lyra was not the latch. She was a perfect latch. I was very lucky. She knew what to do. I had the milk, but she didn't want to work for it. She is lazy, they said, and I would tend to agree. And at the time when my colostrum was work was coming in, it's very hard work for a baby. They don't they, they have everything they need in these tiny little drops, but it's not it doesn't come out easy. So she's having to suck and she just goes, do you know what? No, I know that I've had a bottle of formula because you topped me up and that's easy and I'm going to have that again. I had these excellent women who checked my latch, checked my positioning and off I went on my way. Um, I tried everything they told me. There wasn't a lot that I didn't try. And so reading that, I was like, 
I felt for these mums. I was like, actually, we did. Mm. And you're saying we didn't. And and then there's a lot of mum shaming. And just stay away from that because that's not going to help your mental health. And I knew that in my logical mind. I'd heard about this and I still went there and I still looked. Some people, when they're trying to give advice, you know, got good intentions, but all they ultimately do is project their own experience onto someone else. And it's not one size fits all. This all happens very differently for everyone. And then you do have people that just lack any form of mindfulness at all and unfortunately it's so easy for them to have a voice on the internet mum shaming or any anything like that is awful because everyone that has a child starts somewhere like it will always be the first time you've done everything right you know you found your way but it won't be the same journey that somebody else has had but that doesn't mean it's wrong I mean it sounds like you've done incredible considering everything you've been up against as well the antenatal side of it sounds like that in itself was quite traumatic it was um it was and I I think it is due to the pandemic um I will not say that it's impossible to have negative experiences outside of it, but I definitely feel that my experience was moulded by the way the services had to kind of restrict. Mm. But I felt I would be less anxious about a lot of the things I've become anxious about had I been able to go to all the the classes and and have more um, in-depth care from the midwives that they weren't able to provide that. And I will never blame them for that situation. But I do feel that the two that I had could have handled the situation better. Yeah. Or with mental health. Um, because it wasn't really a mental health issue at the start, but it has now become. Yeah. And so I realised really quickly that I had antenatal anxiety or perinatal anxiety, I should say, sorry. I noticed that I had that pretty much in the first 24 hours of having my baby. And I'm self-aware enough to to realise what it was, that it was anxiety and not depression. And I was really clear about that because I was so hyper-focused on not getting depression. And I knew that I wanted my baby, like the the distinguishing feeling that I had was that I wasn't feeling hopeless. I wasn't feeling like I wanted to hurt myself or her. Yeah. My feelings were, what if I hurt her? What if, is she okay? Like, am I doing this right? Am I doing it well enough? It was, it was, the question was always about whether I was doing the right thing for her and not, do I love my baby? I knew that the problem was in fact, actually, I felt I loved her too much. Okay. I felt that I was in essence being what I would call a helicopter mother before I'd even got to know her. I was very hyper aware. And I also think as a healthcare worker, having to that overnight stay at the hospital was the worst thing for me because I was hearing all the alarms, the patient alarms and my work brain was telling me that I needed to go and see the patient, but I was the patient and I couldn't even have done anything on that ward anyway, cause that's not my department, but <laughs> I had my work brain going off and then my new, and then I was trying to get to grips with my new identity as a mother. And that was a very, very surreal experience and very unique. Um, don't recommend. <laughs> Um, there was also the top the fact that I had 36 hours I'd been going for 36 hours without sleep at that point so I had a very long labor I mean I know they count labor in the hospital as as the three hours that you're from five centimeters dilated onwards but for me labor was all day long the way I would describe my mental health difficulties would be um, extreme anxiety but I also believe I've got ADHD um, and I've had that obviously since I was a child but no one's ever picked it up 
I get very, I get sensory overload. I, I get very overwhelmed by noise and touch. And so I had gone into sensory, I put myself into sensory overload from the pain of giving birth because it is like you would never, I will never be able to describe what it feels like. Um, it is when people say it's the worst pain you will ever feel, I can now say that's true. Um, and it's not very, it's not easy to describe because it is so unique. It is something you kind of have to experience to get um that I was just overwhelmed with that and I remember I kind of went into what I call a dissociative state where I'm I'm in the room but I'm not present and I wasn't very responsive and they they were worried that I wanted to shock or bled too much with the way that I was reacting but I was just laying there I wanted my daughter and I was aware of her on me but I wasn't really otherwise doing much else other than holding her and they were very concerned and about 10 minutes after that the first breastfeeding support woman comes in grabs my daughter and is trying to teach me how to get her to latch trying to get me to get her to latch and I wasn't quite getting it and so she's trying to show me another like two or three different ways and I just had to say look I really want to breastfeed but right now this is not the time for me to be learning to do this but I know that she has to feed so can actually my husband have a bottle of formula and just feed her and it wasn't until I said look I think I've got undiagnosed ADHD I have sensory overload and they were good they did actually once I said that they were good but I was overwhelmed and I didn't expect to feel overwhelmed like that and I didn't get time to process my birth one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this was I don't think I've actually processed it properly even now and how all the ways that I was feeling about it yeah I felt very overwhelmed by that and a lot of the conversations that the medical conversations that were happening around me were concerning as well one of the things I remember was when Lyra was born when she came out obviously they they rubbed the baby over like near you to get them to breathe and it was Drew my husband has told me it's probably only about five ten seconds if that that she wasn't breathing and crying but it felt like eternity to me Mm. and I was very vaguely aware of someone talking about resuscitation what they'd actually meant was me there was a there was a brief moment of time that my husband has told me that they thought I've bled too much and I might have to go to theatre but I heard the word recess and freaked out that my daughter wasn't breathing and crying and thought she was dead. And so those thoughts, they started from that really early moment and they, they spiralled and got worse throughout the time that I was there. Has the postnatal care been any better, more present than it was prior to your, your look? I, your face is telling me no, but... <laughs> yes and no. Okay. So when I identified that I was having anxiety, I had to go back to the hospital after I was discharged because um, I insisted on going home, but they hadn't been able to do Lyra's 24 hour checks because there was no doctor around. They were very busy. So I said, I'll come back to the hospital the, the next morning. We did her checks. And then I had to go speak to a midwife and she asked how I was feeling post the birth. And I was honest in that moment. I said, I actually think I need to talk to someone to process what's happened to me in this this birth experience was I felt I was shocked to feel traumatized by it because hmm. I had had what you would imagine what most women would class to be a normal birth I didn't have to go to have an emergency c-section I didn't have Lyra was fine so there was no reason for me to I thought to feel traumatized and yet I did and the midwife I spoke to was very lovely and she said okay um I think we can do like a, a referral to time to talk. She might have not have known about all the options. She's like, we think we can do this. Um, who's your normal community midwife? And I gave the name and she said, right, um, I will speak to her. And when she sees you tomorrow, you can have the referral. 
they asked me if I'd used Time to Talk before, which is our local talking service. I said I had many times. I didn't find them helpful prior, but for this situation, I was open to try it because it might it might be different. You know, I was like, yeah, sure, I, I will do whatever it takes to make me feel better. And my midwife did make the referral, and um, she said, right, well, you know, we'll wait for that to come through. Here's where it got really bad. Um, so in that time, the anxiety got worse, but I was feeling okay. I was like, right, I can hold on. I'm going to have this referral. It's going to get better. I'd had my 10 day check with my midwife and I'd said, oh, the referral hasn't come through yet, but I know it takes time. She was happy to discharge me from her care. And I was happy to be discharged from her care because everything with Lyra and at the time I thought breastfeeding was going well. So I was like, yeah, fine. I will wait for this referral. I'd got a letter in the post from time to talk. And on this letter, it said, we regret to inform you that we, we don't feel we can take your case on as you have a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, which was a shock to me because I've never had any diagnosis from anybody at all. And I, I, I was sat reading it in disbelief. I was like, I do not have borderline personality disorder. I would know if I had this. Um, so this is a shock. There was no mention of a re-referral anywhere else or any advice I ended up phoning the GP and saying asking them to see if they could look on my medical records that they have access to and see if there was a diagnosis that I did not know about on there and they don't have it they have a letter on their system which I knew about so the last time that I saw any kind of mental health help was at my previous job I did a very different job to what I do now and I had a mental breakdown there because I couldn't cope with the, the workload what I was expected to do was very stressful and there was a lot of it and I was not able to manage it and I start, that's when I started to realise the things about me that make me think I may have ADHD and I went off sick and I asked the GP if I could be referred for an assessment for ADHD and I had to go to this mental health clinic in question that I've talked about and I got to speak to a psychiatrist there for you know the basic triage like this is what we're going to do and she didn't I, I took loads of evidence I compiled evidence from my mum um evidence from my friends and everything that I thought I had and I took a lot with me she didn't even look at the the evidence I took with me she listened to me talk she heard me talk about the childhood trauma that I had and as soon as I said that she honed in on borderline personality disorder because I said I'd had emotional instability as a child growing up and had until recently still had that. She took that and said, no, this is what you have. And I'm, I'm not willing to explore any other possibility. I will do an assessment with you for borderline personality disorder. And I disagreed with that. And I said, I do not want to waste your time and resources because the only box I tick is this. And prior times I've spoken to other people, although we've never had an assessment, they have said you don't quite tick enough boxes for borderline personality disorder so no one can agree I'm, I don't think I've got that the letter said pretty much that she had an opinion I disagreed and we didn't have a diagnosis and she was stressed on the letter there is not a diagnosis time to talk I've got hold of that letter and run with it <laughs> so I've been left until until now I have been left for with no support for that anxiety I didn't see the health visitor until two weeks after I got that letter. And then my health visitor, who is fantastic, like she's been brilliant. 
for everything. She said, oh, um, and how is your mental health? And she said, and, and what's been happening with your time to talk referral? And I just handed her the letter and she took one look at it and she just said, but why were you referred to time to talk? And I said, well, what do you mean? She's like, you should have been referred to the perinatal team. So this is the first I hear of the perinatal team. And I heard back in two days. I was not told about the correct <laughs> the correct place to go. I think it, it speaks volumes. I remember um, I've recently had in the last week my first um, triage over the over Zoom appointment with the perinatal team. Um, and so going forward, what they're going to do is they're going to take me onto the caseload and um, I will meet with the person I'm seeing every fortnight. But she has also said one of the things they can offer is actually do a proper assessment. Uh, so they've, the way that she said it is a medical review. But she explained that one of the things they might offer from that is a mental health assessment. So I may finally find out what in the in the vast melting pot of mental health disorders is, is wrong with me off the bat of this. And she said it will take a while. You might hear by the end of the month. And I said, actually, that's good. And I think it says a lot that like, I was like, oh, that's good that it will literally take me only three weeks because I know because I, I so innately know the mental health system. And I think the longest I've ever waited for, for any kind of even to see someone after referral was a year. So, yeah, it says a lot, doesn't it, about about the funding? Yeah, it does. And, you know, maybe one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that people are now talking more and and there seems to be a lot more going into bringing mental health into the media, but it's pandemic in itself, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. Is. There might be some women listening and now they're like, oh, oh no, oh God. But I think what people need to take away from this is that being honest is really important. And if you're not getting the help you need, you need to be really vocal about it. There are certain things you've said that do reassure me. I mean, I'm not particularly maternal. Before I met my current partner, I didn't really want children. Now I do. But I do worry about things like not having a bond. People, I, I'm very lucky. People like yourself, friends, family, they're saying that's, that's okay. And I wish more people knew that that's all that it, it actually takes is just someone being a bit mindful, not trying to project their own issues on you or their own opinions and just saying, that's fine. Yeah. I think that's what you need and um, what I wish I'd had and maybe I mean hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it I think if I and I kind of allowed my brain to isolate itself in a way but I was so afraid of unsolicited advice I didn't reach out yeah and I think if I had had a mum that I trusted my age um in my situation You'd sat down and gone, look, this is how I felt. These are all the horrible things I felt, not just all the nice things, because that's all you hear about. Is that you see all the beautiful pictures of pregnancy. You see the ideal, don't you? You don't see all the bad things. I don't see how it's possible to love every moment of something that is so drastically changing your body. The things that your body does, it's a lot to adjust to and it's a lot to, to learn to love. Yeah. And I'm still recovering, actually, mentally and physically. There are things that no one tells you about having a baby. I wish I'd someone had sat down and told me. Second piece of unsolicited advice, don't break <laughs> in Dr. Martins when you're pregnant. I couldn't fit my shoes. Loads of, I had one pair of shoes that fit. Um, and that will take up to nine months to go back to the way it was. So you've got to be kind to yourself. And I, I'm preaching 
to the choir because I am still struggling with this um but you do have to be kind because your body will not be the same so you need to be prepared for that it may not go back to the way it was but it's okay there are clothes that fit me before I was pregnant that don't fit me now and it's nothing to do with the weight my my shape has just changed obviously the anxiety is fueled by your instinct and that can be really hard to unpick as well Hmm. sometimes it can be hard to know where the line is but try to listen to yourself and if you are finding yourself obsessing over it you have to try and take a step back because it you will drive yourself up the wall uh, which is where I'm at now like so it's important to talk about how you're feeling I think that's why honesty is important because otherwise you end up in these cycles and it's not a good place to be at all no and it's a shame that people feel like they can't be honest for all the reasons we've discussed together sort of guilt shame worrying about social services or worrying that people are going to project onto you give you unsolicited advice and criticism actually in in some instances it is a shame but I'm hoping that obviously the more and more people do talk maybe more people will be more mindful and a bit more careful about the way they they talk to other people yeah that's my hope too pregnancy is such a personal thing millions of women go through it It, it's it's not the same is it for everyone and 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 that's that's okay there's a lot of expectations as well isn't there on what who you should be as a woman as a mother as a pregnant woman and actually those expectations need to be like you know yeah just get rid of them yeah and and it's your journey you let you learn on the way and and that's okay and it's just a shame that you didn't get to experience it in that way but Lyra has a kick-ass mother oh thank you (laughs) it is super brave to talk about these things and I always when I say that I always think god that's really patronizing but it it is brave because people don't want to talk about it because they're scared I'm trying to make a point of it now as well so um it's taking a while to get help with this anxiety thing and I keep saying like that I wish there had been a mum out there Mm. that shared her real honest experience so that I could see someone else literally falling apart and be like you know representation it's okay they're 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 having these thoughts but they're still being a good mum and they're still doing the thing so I've actually made an Instagram account it's very empty at the moment there's only six posts on there but it is called and then I cried Mm -hmm. um it's got various underscores in different places but if you type it in you probably find me um and I will every time I I have a thought like there's been too many bad thoughts to chronologically go back through and post about it so I'm not going to do that because I don't have the time as you can imagine but as and when I have these thoughts of anxiety or something happens or there's a funny moment I will be posting basically and the hope is that a it gives me a way to process the fact and 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 come to terms with the fact that I'm a mum now which is still weird to me but I am um and but it it might help another mum like go hey look this is normal and obviously like my dms are open if anyone ever wants to talk to someone who gets it I will talk to anyone it doesn't matter who they are and I'm not going to be that posting on Instagram worthy like glorious mother I'm just gonna be knowing this is life and sometimes it's it's crap and I think I needed that and I hope it it helps somebody else if you have been affected by any of the topics covered in today's podcast 
please see our show notes on our Facebook page for our suggested contacts. If you're interested in talking on our podcast, please get in touch through the Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. Stay safe. 